Isaiah chapter 30, I'm going to read down verses 1 through 3 this morning. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 30, 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip over to 31 and go 1 through 3. Isaiah 30, verse 1. All stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. And if you go over into chapter 31, verse 1, says, woe, everybody say woe. woe. Okay, this isn't the woe that you make when you're on a roller coaster. When you see the word woe, W-O-E in the Bible, it means this is really, really bad. God says woe unto you, meaning you are in a very bad pickle here. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in the horsemen because they are strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster, and he does not call back his words, but will uh, arise against the house of evildoers and against the help, helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. And the title of my message this morning is Trusting in Chariots. Let's pray this morning. Father, today again, as we sang earlier, believing, Lord, that you are here in our midst. We recognize how much, how desperately we need you. This morning, I need your anointing to preach this word. I pray, God, that we not just hear a sermon about trusting you, but God, that we might find how to do it. God, that we might leave here with a resolve to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, that there would be a, an unwavering faith that would be born in our hearts today, God. We need you throughout every day of our life, and we realize that we're no match for the powers of darkness that come against us on a daily basis. God, we just see in your word how faithful you've been to those who trust you. We see in your word, Lord, how those who did not trust you failed miserably. Let us not suffer that fate, God. Let us be the ones, Lord. Let us be the generation, those in our generation that trust you and that see great and mighty things take place that you've promised we would see. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Trusting in chariots. So in this particular scripture that we read, we read throughout Israel's history and different times, especially if you read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we find where different kings raised up to lead Israel. Some of them were godly kings, some of them were ungodly kings. And every time we see an ungodly king at the reins, the nation suffered for it. Every time we saw a godly king at the reins, the, the nation did well. In this particular time here, as, as Isaiah is speaking to, uh, as Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, Isaiah the prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel. And what we're finding in their history at this point in time is the Assyrians were a conquering nation. The Assyrians were just out to conquer the world. And they were defeating nation after nation after nation. They were just swallowing nations up. And they were threatening the Israelites just the same as they were threatening everybody else. And so as, as Israel recognized this enemy was coming against them, rather than turning to God for help, 
Rather than trusting that God would provide for them and protect them, they ran to the Egyptians for protection from their armies. Now, the Egyptians had a mighty army. That's where he said, you're trusting in chariots, you're trusting in horses. Egypt was not short at all in the area of chariots and horses. They had a mighty army. So Israel's looking at this and it's like, okay, well, the, the Babylonians are coming against us. Let's go make an alliance with Egypt and let's see if they'll protect us. And so they literally passed over God to trust in the Egyptians. It would be like having, it would, I'll put it like this, it would be like having Arnold Schwarzenegger as a dad to protect you, but trusting in Pee Wee Herman instead, right? Some of the younger ones are like, who's Pee Wee Herman? You don't want to know. Pee Wee Herman's just little, I mean, but literally that's what it's like. Could you imagine somebody's attacking you? Arnold Schwarzenegger is your dad, and you go over to Pee Wee Herman and say, would you please protect me? That's what these people are doing. God who is creator of the universe, who had already been faithful to them over and over and over again, rather than go to God and say, God, would you protect us? They went to the Egyptian army to protect them, which was really a weaker army than the one that was coming against them. Um, so God had already promised the nation of Israel that he would protect them from all of their enemies. That was, that was the one thing that set Israel apart from all the other nations, was that they had God to protect them. Every other nation, the only God they had to protect them were little statues. But not the Israelites. The Israelites served the one true God, the living God. That's what set them apart, was the fact that the living God said to them, if you will trust in me, I will protect you from all of your enemies. But they decided to go and pay for uh, a faulty protection rather than to receive God's free protection. Okay, so we read that verse that said that they said uh, they committed, sin, they added sin to sin. Anyway, he said that I will protect you and keep you from all of the enemies that come against you. And so, and he had, God had been faithful time and time again when the enemies come rolling into town. And so God said, basically what he's saying here is if you're going to trust in man, then I will gladly step back and let man take care of you. So that's the heart of this message this morning is that we need one another. There's no doubt about that. And there's plenty of scripture about receiving the counsel of man, godly man, okay? But what we, have, what we have to understand as believers, those of us who have the spirit of God dwelling within us, that there is nobody that can provide for us and protect us and be faithful to us like God can. God wants our trust level for him to exceed all that man can provide for us. So if you can hang a right here in chapter number to Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 10. We find a king here that learned how to do this, okay? And we can learn a valuable lesson from this this morning. And so as we are here today, each one is individuals, I would venture to say that every person has some sort of problem. If you do not have any problems in your life, would you please raise your hand? I don't see any hands. So Nobody can raise their hand because we all have problems. We all face an enemy that has launched an all-out attack on us just simply because we believe in the one true God. Amen? And so we have to make a decision as an individual. As a father, we set the direction for our home. And as a mother, as a pastor, I set the direction for this church. But as an individual, we make the decision, am I really going to learn to trust God? Okay, we as human beings are so set to trust our five senses, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we can feel. We're geared that way to trust what we can see. But 
But we have to understand this morning that God is not a God of flesh. He's, he's a supernatural God that is able to do supernatural things. And so we, we learn to trust beyond our senses and trust in a awesome, holy, supernatural God. Hezekiah was a king of Israel, and he learned to do this. So if you're in uh, chapter 10 of, or excuse me, chapter 37 of Isaiah verse 10. Uh, says, thus shall, shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So what we got right here, basically, let me see if I can paint this picture for you. Um, the Syrians are coming against the Israelites with the intention of conquering them. And uh, the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Judah, Hezekiah, sends a letter basically saying this. We're going to come in, we're going to whoop your tail, we're going to take your stuff, and there's not anything you can do about it, okay? That's basically what this letter says. We are going to overrun you. And they had the army to do it. They had the, they had the chariots and the horses, everything they needed to conquer a nation, they could do it. And so, Hezekiah, we're going to come in and conquer you just like we've conquered every other nation. Don't think you can defeat us. Don't think that your God is going to save you. We, it's inevitable. We're going to take you over. So when you go down into verse 14, here's what Hezekiah did when he got this letter. Here's what we should do when we get the bad news, when we're faced with a trial, when we're faced with a battle that we know we don't have the strength to overcome. Rather than turning to man, this is how we should handle it. This is how Hezekiah handled it. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God alone. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib. That was the king of Syria that, was, that wrote the threatening letter. Which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, statues, idols. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Hezekiah was honest before God. He said, God, he's right. They're stronger than we are. So Hezekiah had a choice. I either go get some other armies and some other nations and put my trust in man. I get more chariots. I get more horses and try to fight this, this army that's coming against me. Or... I go to a God who holds every person's breath in his hand. He believed in the supernatural. He had faith to trust that God trumped everything and every army and every king on the earth. Do you know this morning that God trumps every problem that you have? The demonic forces of hell are, are, are around. I don't think it, you don't have to be real spiritual to look around and see that the, the devil's at work, that there is a, I mean, gosh, even if you don't want to acknowledge God, you can look and see that evil present in the world, right? And it's growing. And so God says, I trump all of the powers of darkness. And so Hezekiah, as he takes this letter and he just lays it out before God and said, God, it is yours. Everybody say, God, it is yours. Please do yourself a favor and get very familiar with speaking those words. Amen. Sometimes when we go before God and we have a situation and we, you try to pray and you try to lay it all out eloquently and make this beautiful prayer to somehow get God's attention and get him to work on your behalf. And folks, that's not what it's all about. Sometimes the most spiritual prayer you can pray is God, this is yours. 
I trust you, God. I believe that you still work supernaturally on my behalf. I can't do this, God. I spread it out. It's all yours. That's what Hezekiah did. And God was faithful. When you read on down through there, the Bible says that, that God literally sent angels in to destroy the armies of the Syrians. I like the way that the Bible puts this. The angel, this is verse 36. Well, first of all, let me read verse 35 because this was the promise that God gave to Hezekiah, the same promise that I believe you and I have as, as children of God today. God said, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And up a little bit further, it says, basically, Sennacherib's not even gonna shoot an arrow in this town. I'm going to protect you. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. God went in and did a great work and, and everybody woke up dead that day, right? God killed all of the armies before them and Israel did nothing. God worked on their behalf. I believe this morning that God is still working on our behalf, amen? He's doing things in us and for us, things that we cannot see. I think we sung about that a little bit today. Things that we cannot see, though we don't see in a movie, he is working on our behalf if we are trusting in him. So God met their needs. Well, then if you, and you don't have to turn there, um, you got this example of Hezekiah literally turning things around for the entire nation because he redirected trust back to God. And then if you look in, in uh, Jeremiah 17 and 5, says this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is the man. Now, again, don't have to be very spiritual. If I was to say to you this morning, how many of you want to be blessed? Raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you want to be blessed, how many of you want to be cursed? Nobody. Everybody knows what that means. When you're cursed, bad things are happening. And literally the scripture says, cursed is the man who trusts in man above God. And so throughout the book of, of Jeremiah, we find where Jeremiah had the same task that Isaiah and the other prophets had to, to preach repentance and try to turn the nation back to God. But there was another king we read about during Jeremiah's time. His name was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, basically, it goes something like this. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he was the one that was conquering the world at this time. Nebuchadnezzar would roll into town, and he would just devastate it. He was just conquering and conquering and conquering. And, and he had come in and, and conquered uh, Israel. And so and Nebuchadnezzar takes Zedekiah and puts him as king over Israel. He's kind of a puppet king, really. He forces Zedekiah to vow allegiance and loyalty to him. And Zedekiah does because Zedekiah was spineless. Okay, And he devotes his allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. But after a while, what we find is that there were some nations that were starting to get a little bit of backbone, and they were starting to form this alliance, this coalition against Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And so they're constantly trying to get Zedekiah to join this alliance. Zedekiah constantly has people coming to him, his advisors, I say loosely, his advisors, man, man's counsel come to him and say, we need to go to Egypt. We need to go to Egypt and see if we can get them to protect us against Babylon. And so Zedekiah is hearing all this. And here's the key. Zedekiah brings in Jeremiah, who was a true man of God. And he brings Jeremiah and he says, what do we need to do? And when Jeremiah gives him a true word from God, Zedekiah says, no, that can't be it. And he ignores the word of God and he begins to... Take, take heed to the word of man. And so he joins this coalition to revolt against Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. 
Oh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't very thrilled about that idea. He was upset. He was mad. He was furious that this little peon of a king would dare turn his back on him. So he just goes in and he's invading Israel and he's invading Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, which is where, where does, where does the king and the president usually live? In the capital city. So Zedekiah living in Jerusalem and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is knocking on his door. They're invading Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar, knowing, or uh, Zedekiah, knowing that he's messed up, there's no way he can defeat Nebuchadnezzar, he runs. Grabs his family and he runs, he gets out of Jerusalem, and somewhere out in the plains of the Middle East, Nebuchadnezzar catches up to him. And Nebuchadnezzar, in retaliation for him, and you have to understand, looking at it from just a, you know, a natural eye, this is all happening because he tried to betray a, a, an army that was bigger than him. But if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, this is all happening because he trusted in man rather than trusting in God. Nebuchadnezzar catches up to him, and right in front of Zedekiah, right in front of his eyes, he kills both of his sons. And then, get this, this is how ruthless, Nebuchadnezzar was a thug. And then, after killing his sons and making Zedekiah watch, he gouges his eyeballs out. Literally, the last thing Zedekiah ever saw was his two precious sons being murdered. Zedekiah's trust in man cost him everything. If he had only trusted in God, had he only done what Hezekiah did and come before God and say, God, I repent for the, what, the direction I've gone. And I understand and realize there's not a nation on this earth. There's not enough chariots on the planet that can save me from this. I need you. The story would have went completely different. Amen. God is faithful to those who will trust him. Now, you say, okay, well, that's, that's a great story, Dennis. I mean, it's a good history lesson. And so what's that got to do with me? I don't have Nebuchadnezzar knocking at the door. I want to talk this morning just a little bit about some modern day ch chariots. Some things in which we have a tendency in our day and age to trust in man, sometimes a little bit more than God. Uh, one modern day chariot is money. Money drives society today, right? The love and the Bible, the Bible goes as far as to say that the love of money is the root of all evil. You, the more money you have, the more power you have, the more stuff you have. And so there's, as humans, there's this drive in us to always have more money. But what happens, and there's nothing wrong with money. I'd love to have a truckload of it. But what, what the problem with money is that we begin to trust it. If I have a lot of money, then I'm secure. That's our mindset. If I have a lot of money, I'm secure. So sometimes people will then go outside the realm of what is honest in order to get a lot of money. But what God is trying to say to us is this. Number one, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what did it profit you? If you're a wealthy person and you've got millions of dollars in the bank and you can literally lay back and you don't have a care in this world, you're secure, quote unquote, because you have a lot of money. And God says, you're trusting in your money. You're not trusting in me. God wants us to, because here's the bottom line. When the last dollar is gone, God is still there. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is able to go beyond the natural into the supernatural to work miracles for you. I don't know how many times, how many testimonies I've heard from good, godly, sainted people who had situations in their life and they literally were out of money. They didn't know where the bills, you know, how the bills were going to be paid only to just say, God, 
I give it to you. I don't know what I'm going to do. I trust you. And then for, in some way, God would provide. When the last, and you've heard me say this a, million, a thousand times, but if you had a million dollars in the bank right now, that is not as secure as the promise of God. Amen? But we can touch it. We can see it. We get a statement every month that says it's there. And so we, learn, we begin to trust it. It becomes a chariot. And God says, I don't want you to trust your money more than you trust me. Another modern-day chariot, and I could preach a whole sermon on all these. I'm going to try, try not to do that. Uh, another modern-day chariot is government. Okay, And this is not to get political, but I mean in the society that we live in today, everybody's putting their trust in government. right? We put our trust in, our, in politicians. If I can just get this politician in, I'll get my way. And we got, we got a society full of people that are just relying on the government to provide for them. And God says, I don't want you to trust in government. You know why? Because governments are run by who? Men, people. Well, I mean, you know, I say men in the humanity sense. Men and women. Government is run by people. And we begin to put our trust in people. I I mean, I don't think it's, watch a little bit of news. I think anybody can understand that to put your trust in politicians these days and in government's a pretty shaky thing. We put our trust in God. Because no matter who president is, no matter who wins the election in 2020, they are not my source of provision. Politicians and government is not who provides for me. God provides for me. I don't want to put my trust in them. Another modern day chariot is is atheist scientists, um, college professors with a natural naturalistic word, worldview. We heard a lot about that over the past month on, on Sunday nights. If you were here for the apologetics courses, atheists, you know, scientists trying to, you know, use science and these college professors that try to make, you know, us believe that we came from apes and, and, you know, the big bang and all that kind of stuff. And society as a whole has just put their trust in those people because they have a PhD behind their name a mile long. They must know what they're talking about. So I'm going to believe what they say. I had a guy tell me that one time, well, these guys are smart, so I'm going to put my trust in them. I said, well, not me. I don't care how smart they are and what their degree is and how many letters or numbers they have behind their name, they are man, man sinful mankind. I'm not going to put my trust in the worldview of people. I'm going to put my trust in the one who put breath in these lungs. Hey man, I'm going to put my trust in God, not in the faulty mindsets of men. We have a tendency to trust a lot in doctors these days, which is, and, and please understand, as I say this, I'm not talking against doctors. I am thankful for doctors, nurses. I've got one in my, in my family that takes good care of me. So I'm not, this, is not a, this is not a dog against going to the doctor in any stretch of the imagination. But I think we could all admit probably that at times we do put more confidence in what the doctor says than we do in what God says. Anybody admit to that? I mean, there are times, you know, God gives them wisdom and, he, and God, you know, bring, does a lot through them, but there is only so much a doctor can do. You know why? Because you know what they are? They're people, right? They can figure out how this heart ticks and they can kind of rotor-rooter it and kind of make it work better, but they can't create one. Not one that works as good as God's does, right? So we put so much stock in them. You know, we look, uh, uh, my mother was talking earlier about, uh, about granny, you know, I, and a lot of you know the testimony, a lot of you don't, but about 20 years ago, uh, Granny had four blockages in her heart. She had to have open heart surgery. 
And they went in and they did a quadruple bypass. And as they're closing her back up, one of those bypasses went bad and, and she, she died. Literally everything just stopped right there on the operating table. And so they opened her back up and they, they did another bypass and they got her going again, but it just kind of plummeted her into uh, a coma like state. Really? I mean, she just, um, she went way downhill and all of the counts were wrong. All of the machines proved that she was in her last minutes on earth. And the doctors would come in, and they would, you know, they would give the report to, to Papa and to Mom, and they'd say, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't look good. She's, she's just not going to make it. You know, and, and again, I'm thankful for the doctors, but, and based on what they saw and their wisdom, they were probably right. Maybe she was at that end. And we just decided that God could probably do better, you know. And we just began to pray against what everything we were hearing from the doctors, we began to pray. And day by day, there was, it went, what, seven weeks? I think she was in the hospital and it didn't look good, but there'd just come a moment. There'd come a moment where God moved on her and things began to improve and she began to get better and here she is today, 20 years later. Amen? That's awesome. That's cool. It's good for us to hear stuff like that. It's good for us to understand. Thank God for man and what God can do but we don't trust man above God. Does that make sense? Are you kind of getting what I'm, where I'm coming from here this morning? Uh, people have a tendency to trust a little bit too much um, as far as adulthood anyway. When, people, when you're a kid, you have to trust in your parents and your grandparents. But even as, as people get older, they, they begin to rely just a little bit too much on their parents and their grandparents. People trust, they have families of their own and they're trusting in mom and dad and grandparents to, to provide for them. And God says, that's not the way I designed it at all. I, want, I don't want you to trust in people. I want you to learn how to trust in me. Go to work, work hard, pray to me, and I will meet your need. Amen, that was God's plan. People have a tendency to trust too much in Facebook, and I don't understand this at all. I, mean, I know we laugh and we giggle, but I'm, I'm serious, don't we? Oh, I have a problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on Facebook and tell everybody about it. And most people, they just, they want the little, they want the sympathy and, we get, you get, I mean, let me tell you something. You want advice? Go on Facebook. You'll get all kinds of it. If you get your counsel and your direction from Facebook, with all due respect, you are a fool. You're cursed. That's exactly right. But we have relied, I mean, honestly, on things like that. People will go to Facebook in a moment's time and not bow a knee in prayer. It doesn't make any sense, really, does it? I said, I want you to learn to trust in me, not in chariots, not in man. Trust in me. If we learned how to take our needs before God immediately and leave them at his feet, we would be amazed at how much, how much calmer and blessed and peaceful our lives would be. That's a true story. That's a true story. Some people, this may sound kind of odd, but hear me out, because I think that this will make sense when I'm done. If you're not careful, even your pastor can become a, a chariot for you, your church, learning to rely a little bit too much on me. And what, and what I say by that is this. Let me, let me kind of repeat some. If you were here on Wednesday night, you heard some of this, but it bears repeating for everybody. In Hebrews, as we've been studying, we talk about the priesthood. And I'm not going to go through all the details, but in the Old Testament, there was a tribe, uh, there was a certain group of people that were the priests. And so if, if people were going to 
get in contact with God, so to speak, they had to go through a priest. When they committed sins, they had to bring their sacrifice to a priest who was a man. Bring the sacrifice to the priest, he would offer the sacrifice. So it was always, it was always man that linked us to God. But in Hebrews, it's very clear that Jesus, when he died on the cross of Calvary, the, the priest lost his job. Okay, that we now, Hebrews chapter four goes on to say this, let us, all of us as Christians, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. What that means is this, nobody needs another person to get to God. Through Jesus, every voice is heard in the realms of heaven. God will listen. You can, if, I, if I commit a sin, I can go right to God that moment and say, God, I'm sorry. I did that. I said that. I thought that. Whatever. Lord, forgive me. I don't have to go find somebody. If I have a need, I don't have to go find somebody to get a hold of God. Now, let me say this. It's important for us to have other people praying for us. I'm not knocking that. And as your pastor, if you're going through something, you got situations going, by all means, let me know and, and let me know so I can, I can pray with you and I will pray with you. But what you got to understand is you, you don't bring it to me. I pray for you and then you go about your merry way. What I'm trying to make you understand is this. I have people come to me and they say, well, Dennis, I want you to pray for this. You have a direct line to God because I'm a pastor. I have a direct line to God. And, and what you're doing is you're putting more trust in me. I want you to understand this morning, every individual this morning, if you're a Christian, you have a direct line to God. Yes, I'll pray with you. And the, and the Bible teaches us to, you know, have the elders of the church pray with one for another. So I'm not saying don't tell nobody about your need. Yes, have people pray for you. Come tell me, I'll pray with you. But understand that you have a direct line to God. You say, oh, I, I'm just not worthy. I don't know enough, or I don't know about enough about the Bible, or I've not been in church long enough, or I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've made a mistake yesterday, and God's not going to hear me. I want you to understand this morning that you have a direct line to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. God will hear you. Amen? But I think the greatest chariot that I want to talk about this morning, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to speak long. I'm going to wrap this up the chariot that we have a tendency probably to trust the most is ourselves. Ourselves, our own abilities, our own talents. <clears throat> there was a man, Jesus spoke a parable about a man. He said that his crops had produced abundance. He had more than he needed. His, he had so much that his barns couldn't hold it all. And so he went and he tore down all of his barns and he built new ones, bigger ones. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with building bigger barns for all of your stuff. I mean, that, but where he went wrong was the Bible says that after he built these bigger barns and he got them all full because of the work of his own hand, he reared back, he put his hands behind his head and he said, I said to myself, soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. What he's saying is, I have provided for myself. I have accomplished all of this, and I have no need of anyone, not even God. And Jesus says that God spoke to this man and said, you fool, today your soul is required of you. When, when God brought the Israelites through, through the desert, and there were times where they became very hungry, and God provided for them miraculously, they became thirsty, and God provided for them miraculously. But he's taking them to some place where they're going to have it made. He's taking them to what they called the promised land. They would get to Canaan. God said, I've got a little patch of land for you guys. 
and I'm going to get you there, and I'm going to take care of you. I am your God. You're my people. And he goes on to say this. You're going you're gonna to live in houses you didn't have to build. You're going you're gonna to drink from wells you didn't have to dig. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't have to plant. I'm going to run out all of the inhabitants of the land, and I'm going to give you, hey, I'm just literally going to hand over to you all that blessing, and all you're going to have to do is live and praise me. But this is the warning God gave them. God warned them going in. He said, here's, the, here's what you have to look out for. Be careful that once you get into that land and you start living in those houses and drinking from those wells and eating from those vineyards, be careful that you don't say, by my hand, I got all of this stuff. By my hand, because we have this great army, we drove all of those people out of the land. Be careful you don't trust in yourself and forget where your source really is. Amen. We go through life, and day after day, we get up and we'll go to work. Do you understand here this morning that you can only go to work because God gives you the power and the grace and the strength to go to work? It, 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 can, it brings about a, con- a completely different view of your entire life when you stop and look at everything and say, I would not have that. I would not be able to do that had it not been for God. You think you take credit for your family? No, God, you, you wouldn't be able to have kids and have a family unless God gave you the ability to do so. We trust in ourselves. We become our own God. And God said there comes a point in every person's life where we have to decide we're sitting on our own throne And we have to decide to either stay on the throne of our own life and make our own decisions and call our own shots, or we have to step down off of the throne and allow God to sit on that throne. Let me tell you something. He's a good God. Jesus is a good king. He's a good ruler. Jesus will do far better with your life than you can do. He can do way better with your life than you can do. You may feel like you've got the world by the tail. Just remember what comes out of the tail. I don't know. You know, just stop and think about it for just a second. That can backfire. God says, you don't have anything lest I make sure and give you the power to have it. Don't trust in yourself. Amen. I want you to trust in me. God is our rock. God is our refuge. God is our strong tower. He's our help, our ever-present help in the time of need. I know this sounds so, so cliche. I know it sounds so cookie cutter. Oh, we left here. Dennis had a good sermon about trusting God. I hope that this soaks down into your soul this morning because it's more important than just a sermon. Like I said in my opening, but my prayer for this was that we don't just have a lesson about how we need to, to trust God more rather than man. I want us to learn how to do it. See, what happens is... When, when people go out and trust God, recklessly trust God, above the normal of man's senses, God has promised, he said, I'll do greater things than you can even imagine. And what it does is it creates a testimony. Lots of times, and I give the testimony of Granny, lots of times we, people stand, they give a testimony of some great and amazing thing that God did in their life. Not because they were God's favorite. Not because they gave extra in the plate that week or because they went to church more than everybody else. Because out of God's grace and his mercy, they trusted God. And God moved on their behalf. Amen? I'm going to leave you with this verse here. It's in Psalm chapter 20. 
I'm going to read this whole psalm. It's just nine verses. David wrote this, and David was a man that learned what it was to trust God. He was the one that defeated Goliath, and the only reason he knew he could defeat Goliath was because God had helped him defeat great enemies in the past. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know, everybody say, I know. David said, I know, I'm confident that the Lord saves his anointed, those who he has chosen, those who bear his name. He will answer him from the holy hev- his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some people trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, those who trust in chariots and horses, they collapse, they fall. But we, those who trust in God, we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Amen. Some people will trust in chariots. Some people will trust in horses. Some people are going to trust in man. Not me. Amen. David said, not me. God's been too faithful for me to trust anybody but God. God's been too good to me for me to give glory to anybody else and for sure for me to take glory for myself. God's just been too faithful. Amen.